You're listening to the 202 Studio, a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the District of Columbia. Throughout the series, we'll be talking with artists, humanities practitioners, organizational leaders, and many others. Individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight, in organizations, studios, and workshops in all eight wards. As we explore the heartbeat of DC's arts, humanities, creativity, and culture. To learn more, visit dcarts.dc.gov. Welcome to the 202 Studio. From the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, I'm Jeffrey Scott. Today we're joined by DC-based painter and muralist, Lisa Marie Thalhammer. Lisa, welcome. Thanks, Jeffrey. So you've become uh, known, I think, really recently uh, in the last several years, especially for your murals and your public artworks around the district. Uh, but let's talk about how you first got started in, in the arts. Uh, I understand that your mother uh, played a, a big part uh, influencing your, your artistic beginnings. Well, yeah, my mother was is a very creative person and was always crafting and drawing. And I definitely learned a lot of skills from her, learned how to sew, learned how to draw from my mom, um, just kind of learned how to make things beautiful. And so creativity was always, you know, in a part of my existence from very early on in my childhood. And so then what drew you specifically to, to painting to be your medium of choice? In high school, I did a pre-college program at the Art Institute of Chicago where we studied the figure. And after that experience, I definitely knew that I was going to be an artist and that I was going to be a painter. I mean, it really was an amazing experience to to be in an art school environment so early on in my career. And actually, you know, going to the Art Institute Art Institute of Chicago, it was it wasn't a cheap program. And so I asked, you know, my dad to to send me and we kind of he, he's like, oh, it's too expensive, I, you know, for me to to afford the tuition. And so after kind of a lot of discussions and debate about it, he I he decided that if I, if he would commission a mural from me that he would actually pay for my tuition. So we did a swap. Oh. So my father was my first client, really, uh, my first mural client. Uh, and I did a big painting on the garage, on the garage door uh-huh. uh, at our home. Was that foreshadowing for the uh, DC Alley project? I think later? so. I think so. Yeah. My first garage painting was okay. when I was 16 years old. Well, that's yeah. a great way to start. So, uh, and so you, you began with, with painting and the figure and then, uh, but you were doing a mural at age 16. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty impressive uh, because, I mean, mural work is, is a different skill set in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, you know, not just blowing it up, but, you know, having to take into account the perspective and all that sort of thing. Uh, d- did you always have a desire to do that sort of large scale work like murals or was that really at your father's pushing? Well, I really loved making large-scale paintings. Even when I was at the Art Institute of Chicago drawing the figure, I just wanted to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. So it just felt very natural to me to get these big sheets of paper and to, you know, draw these, you know, 
very expressive hands and, you know, angular limbs mm-hmm. and to really kind of try to figure out how to express the figure in like a really powerful and impactful way. And taking that to the large scale, it just kind of felt natural to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a skill that I just was sort of born with to be able to see things mm-hmm. um, in that bigger in that bigger realm. Mm-hmm. And that really, I think, is is a key part of your own artistic style, the the you know pronounced sort of uh, limbs and 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 parts of the figure that you convey, which I think, from my own personal uh, observations, really does translate to that large scale medium especially well. Um, so when did you uh, when did you come to DC? And what brought you here? So I originally came here in 2004, and I came to visit my cousin, Keith Fritz, who was a furniture designer here in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And I actually just never left. I just started meeting all these wonderful, creative people. Mm-hmm. I started working at a art gallery and just really fell in love with the creative community in Washington, D.C. I mean, you have all the museums, you have all the embassies. I mean, D.C. is really a culture town. And a lot of people don't realize that. Mm -hmm. But when you're here and you're living here and you're interacting with people, you really understand how much creativity and culture is a part of the fabric of Washington, Mm D.C. And if you're not in the cultural industry, the people here generally always appreciate and respect, you know, cultural arts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's 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 true. That there, there's a, there's an audience here in many ways uh, that do appreciate uh, these sorts of things. Then in a variety of different genres, you know, from visual arts to performing arts, and you know, we've seen like with public art, particularly in the past 10, 15, 20 years has really taken root with murals and other sort of installations that we've had. Um, So earlier we talked about the DC Alley Museum uh, and the garage doors. And this was a project that you worked on um, several years back originally with Bill Worrell. Um, And talk a little bit about that and how that came to be. So when I moved to Washington, D.C., you know, I quickly became friends with a lot of the artists in Washington, and there was a really booming creative scene in Blagden Alley. There were artist studios. Bill had his studio there in Blagden Alley. There were galleries there. There was a real creative scene happening. So I had been hanging out in Blagden Alley for years, just all the time. I would always go and hang out there. And when the neighborhood started changing and shifting and we knew that you know some of the you know some of the peop- the painters who were there before were kind of moving on to other spaces where they could find bigger more affordable mm-hmm. spaces um, we wanted to really just mark that alley for creativity mm-hmm. and to say you know artists were here creative people are going to continue to be here mm-hmm. and that's really the inspiration for the project to to really dedicate that space to the artists and to the creative community that had been there. So Bill and I, you know, got together to 
write grants to the commission applying to the public art building communities program. Mm -hmm. And through that, we were able to work with a number of other local artists. Most of the artists had had studios in Blagden Alley or in the Shaw neighborhood. And so we were approaching artists who were familiar with the landscape, who were familiar with the culture of Blackton Alley. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, you create an authenticity that is really important to us when creating the DC Alley Museum. You know, we're not just asking any artist to come and put up any work. We're really asking artists who know DC, who are part of the DC scene, whose artworks and murals commemorate the creative culture mm-hmm. in Washington. Mm-hmm. And for those listeners who, who aren't familiar with the uh, DC Alley Museum in Blackton Alley, um, part of the, the concept of it is that uh, the building owners whose properties uh, empty onto Blackton Alley, uh, their garage doors have become the canvases for a number of murals uh, that uh, the artists approached the the owners with and the, got permission, of course, to paint on their garage doors. Um, and and there was a second iteration of it as well with another grant from the commission uh, just this past year, I believe. Uh, so it continues to, to grow and, and fill out. Yeah, and we hope that the D.C. Alley Museum will also continue to grow. There's a, still a few blank garage doors mm-hmm. that we are currently working with you know, different residents and different business owners uh, to commission murals for for those spaces as well. So we really see this project growing. Mm-hmm. We don't see it as a completed museum yet mm-hmm. until we fill up every single blank space in the course, alley. Um, Blackton Alley is a really interesting block in Washington, D.C., because it's really half residential and half commercial. Mm -hmm. So you have the audience. And when more businesses began to open up in the alley, we saw an audience there for these murals that hadn't existed before. Mm -hmm. So it's really that mixture of the residential and the commercial that makes it so special. Mm -hmm. And it's a unique alley in its physical space as well, I think. It's not necessarily what a lot of people, or at least myself, think of as a traditional alley, just a straight shot, kind of narrow. But it's it's a, it's sort of a little enclave, you know, in and of itself. Uh, and it, it creates a space that, you know, I think is, you know, a great place to place these artworks. And it's got, garnered a lot of attention uh, from uh, the public and from residents, but also outside of D.C. as well. Um, I believe there's a, a, a television show that was interested in doing some shoots there. Was that right? Oh, there are a lot of television, lot of television shows, shows, actually, who are interested in shooting there. And then the My Love Mural and Blagden Alley is now one of the most Instagrammable, most photographable mm-hmm. places in Washington, D.C. And so any given day, you can see, you know, 20 people taking selfies in front of the murals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of the weeks you see a big film crew out there Mm -hmm. doing some type of shoot. Um, Or in wedding photography, I think. Lots of wedding photography, yeah. Um, How many pieces, how many murals do you have in the alley? Is it the two? I have two. I have the meditation mural, Mm -hmm. which was the first one Mm -hmm. that I painted in 2015, which was our first 
public art mm-hmm. building communities grant. Right. And then in 2017, when we got our second grant from the commission, I painted love and we also painted a few other murals at that time. So right now there's about a dozen murals in the alley. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about um, your time in, in D.C. and uh, how you've worked with the commission, uh, both, you know, we know about these, uh, the public art grants, but I know you've also been a panelist uh, before mm-hmm. and uh, gotten your own grants as well. So uh, let's talk about that and how the commission has uh, worked with you as an individual. Well, before I moved to the city, I wasn't really familiar with the commission, but when I moved here, I became very interested in public funding and would visit the Foundation Center to research grant opportunities. And that's a great library resource for people who are looking for funding for their creative projects. There's so many different opportunities out there. So the Foundation Center really kept leading me to the D.C., mm-hmm. you know, Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Uh, so I think my first grant was in 2006, and I applied for a small, you know, $500 small projects program grant. Um, and I would also attend, you know, all the workshops, all the D.C. Commission workshops. Uh, there's some great educational resources here, and that just really helped me to perfect my grant writing skills. You know, you have to really write short and concise Mm -hmm. project descriptions and have excellent visuals. I mean, those are the two things that are key to any application or grant process. Because also being on the other side of it and reviewing applications, you're looking at sometimes hundreds of different proposals. So to be able to stand out within Mm -hmm. that sea of applications you know, visuals are important and just really being able to explain your project in one to two sentences is essential. Right. And that's something that we've heard from numerous grantees that when they got on the other side of the table and did service as a panelist, that it made them better because they could see, you know, what it is and, you know, what 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 panels look for or what you know how to stand out and and that sort of thing so uh this is of course a plug shameless plug for anyone out there who's interested to you know panels we're always looking for Mm -hmm. grants review panelists uh to come and help um so let's talk about some uh you've also been an artist fellowship uh recipient is that correct that's correct yeah Mm -hmm. and so this is a, a a grant that is sort of like a general operating support for individual arts and humanities practitioners that they mm-hmm. can spend in any number of ways. Um, uh, let's talk about how that's been of benefit to you personally. Well, that was great. I was able to pay off my credit card bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I mean, Washington, D.C. is an expensive place to live. And, you know, even though you're an artist, you still have to eat and pay your bills and mm-hmm. pay your studio rent, which, you know, keeps getting higher and higher. Right. So, you know, just having that general kind of bonus mm-hmm. of a fellowship can really help financially. Um, but it also really helps, you know, morally, and it just kind of gives you an mm-hmm. uplift that 
that, okay, your work's being recognized uh, within this creative community is, is, is really special. The fellowships is a really important program. And I think that that's a sentiment that we've heard a lot that, you know, because it is, the funds are so unrestricted that, you know, because we don't necessarily have a, you know, a building program or a rent program for individuals, but we have this that can kind of do all sorts of things because you do have to pay for studio space and you have bills and we've heard, you know, medical expenses may come up um, and it's all that sort of stuff to try and lift some of those pressures to be able to focus on the creative process and making the art. Yeah, and I think artists really look at cities that offer these types of programs when they're trying to decide, you know, where to settle, mm -hmm. where to move after art school, which city to invest in. Mm -hmm. So most of the, you know, cities that have the top art programs in the country also offer some type of fellowship mm -hmm. to their local artists. Let's talk about uh, some. So the the love mural is mm -hmm. is blowing up Instagram, which is great and wonderful. Um, what what are you working on currently, or what do you have uh, future plans for coming up uh, as far as uh, any large scale or smaller scale works? Well, I'm currently working on a print series to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the Love Mural. So I'm working with Adamson Editions on that series. It's an archival pigment print of, you know, the finest fine art quality. And so those are available on my website. So I'm really kind of getting ready to release those for the anniversary. So that's really exciting. And then in addition, I also have two other mural projects in the works, you know, in the very beginning stages. I'm still trying to kind of finalize the designs for those. And those projects are focused more around my studio at mm -hmm. 52 O Street Northwest, mm -hmm. where I've lived and worked for, you know, over a decade. So I'm working on a grant. I'm working on a grant proposal for the alley next to 52.0, mm -hmm. and also one around the corner at 1st and P Street. Okay. So how how have you seen, uh, and from your perspective, um, the city's creative community, arts and cultural community change over the time that you've been here, and, and where do you see it possibly going in the future? Well, when I first moved to D.C., there wasn't as many murals. Mm -hmm. You know, I really feel like the Public Art Building Communities grant and the D.C. murals program has really helped to infuse the city with public murals. So the first one that I worked on was Boxer Girl in 2009. And, you know, that project was a little bit of a surprise to the neighborhood because there really wasn't any there really wasn't any murals in the neighborhood. But now, a decade over a decade later, there are you know dozens of murals. So you really kind of see a culture shift, and people are really realizing, you know, the value that murals and public art can can bring. You know, after I finished painting Boxer Girl. There was a neighborhood meeting, and w one of the participants in the meeting asked the police department, you know, what has happened in regards to crime on that block. And they came back and reported that crime had actually decreased by 55% in the four months since that mural had been installed. 
So for me, that was like, wow, that was really inspiring and just made me realize that I was like going in the right direction mm -hmm. with this type of work and, and putting art onto the street. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a mural in a, in a place that has previously been neglected, mm -hmm. you clean it up, you, you, you know, you power wash the wall, you pick the weeds, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you clean up gross things. You know, I've, as a muralist, I've picked up feces in the alley before, <laughs> you know, true story. Um, so you're really kind of creating energetic shift mm -hmm. in a location. I feel like art has that power to shift places energetically. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, if you want to commit a crime, you're not going to do it right in front of a large, beautiful mural where people are walking by and looking drawing and taking attention. pictures and drawing attention. Right. So. And where is Boxer Girl located for those who aren't familiar? It's at 73W Street Northwest. Okay. And was that done uh, through the DC Murals program or PABC or was that? A it was a public art building communities okay. project. Okay. Um, and that is something that I think um, uh, we've seen as an, as an intention of a lot of the murals programs, both the DC murals program and uh, any other murals that, that the city is behind is that idea that it can help to, uh, you know, it's not to beautify an area, but also that it can reduce, you know, if there is crime that, you know, there is less, you know, desire to do something, you know, in a, in a place that has this, this attention. And then they also become, place markers, mm -hmm. you know, people can, people associate parts of town with murals, you know. Definitely. And they're also huge economic engines mm -hmm. and catalysts for really positive change in an area. So when we first started painting our murals in Blagden Alley, you know, I would talk to the barista at the local coffee shop and she would tell me that, you know, there are cups of coffee sold like doubled within the month mm -hmm. that we finished painting those first murals in 2015. Mm -hmm. Now with the new murals and with the love mural, the alley has really became a tourist destination mm -hmm. and you will see people from all over the world in Blackton Alley and even some big pop stars like Lady Gaga mm -hmm. come and visit the mural. So, you know, it's really put Blackton Alley on the map as a destination. And it puts the local art scene on the map as well, which is something that, you know, I think we've always w wanted to do more of because mm -hmm. there is sometimes that per the perception for uh, visitors to the city that it's the National Mall and it's the Smithsonian's and maybe they know about the Kennedy Center and that's their, uh, the outside perspective of what the arts in D.C. are. And we all know that that's not the case, that there's this rich and diverse creative community all throughout the city and fantastic works of art, visual and performing that you can see in all parts of the city. And so this is, you know, an example of getting visitors to DC off of the mall and exploring, you know, well, to a place that they probably wouldn't normally go to Blagden Alley and Shaw necessarily. Right. And there's a real rich cultural history about alleys in general in Washington. I mean, right. there's so much has happened within alleys and, there are now tour groups that go through the alley. And the artwork is a tool to help 
you know, people tell those stories about the alley and what the history has been in that location. Mm-hmm. And so you're working on this print series. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got two murals that you're kicking around in your heads, mm-hmm. developing. Um, and what sort of other plans uh, do you have for the future? Or is your plate kind of full with that right now? Well, that's a full plate, you know. <laughs> I mean, applying to the public art building communities program, you know, there's That's there's a lot of one of the more intense applications. It is. There's a lot of uh, boxes to check with mm-hmm. that. So, you know, anytime I do one of these mural projects, it's normally about a two year process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, community engagement mm-hmm. is always really important. Mm-hmm. I see my murals always as site specific. So I'm designing a piece specifically, you know, for that location. So I meet the neighbors, I talk with the local businesses, I really try to get an understanding of what's happening in that particular location, Mm -hmm. and then design and respond to the environment. So all the works are really site-specific and intentional and purposeful. And then in addition to that, you know, a lot of times there can be community outreach or educational outreach components to these projects. So one of my last projects, I did a whole year-long educational outreach with women who had formerly been homeless mm-hmm. prior to actually painting the artwork. Mm-hmm. So sometimes these projects can take thou- literally thousands of hours of time mm-hmm. to to create and produce because they have that community engagement aspect really at the forefront. And with your own personal work style, when you're engaged in a a mural project, do you still, do you take breaks from that to work on studio work or is that your sole focus of what you're doing for that year or two? Sometimes it depends. Mm -hmm. You know, there are times when, the mural work is more intense. So when I'm painting a project, that's all I'm doing. When I'm actually doing the installation, Mm -hmm. there's nothing else going on in my life. I am living and breathing that mural for, you know, the month it takes Mm -hmm. to actually physically install it on the wall. It's a lot of physical labor too. You know, you have to really clean the surface and, Mm -hmm. and prime and prep the area. And sometimes that can take just as long as actually painting the piece does. And hope the weather cooperates with you too. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The beauty of public art is it's outside. Yeah. And if it rains, then I take a nap. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, just for the, your, your take on, um, on the, the city's arts, uh, and, uh, culture scene going forward in the future, where, where do you see, or some possible, uh, directions that you see DC's arts going? Well, D.C. is really becoming a world-class city, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the art development in the city is a huge part of that. Any world-class city has a very solid and robust creative scene. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so with so much development happening in Washington, You know, I really, my hope is that 
tourist organizations and developers can really understand the value of public art and to really infuse public art into building and creating this city. Mm-hmm. And when they're looking to, to change a neighborhood or um, build something new, that the art isn't just sort of an afterthought or a way to just paint a building that's going to be torn down, mm-hmm. but to really think carefully and purposefully, you know, commission and pay, you know, local artists and talented creative people mm-hmm. to make those spaces. You know, creative placemaking is super important. And so, you know, if we're developing this world-class city, we need to really be thinking about creative placemaking and how important that is. Right, which is a process in and of itself involving everybody, really, mm-hmm. in some form or fashion yes. to come, you know, have uh, a stake in what's being made a lot of times. But, but yeah, the idea that, you know, the art is not the decoration that comes on, that you put on afterwards. It's part of the development of a space and it's intentional and it, you know, is in communication with that space to make it more cohesive. Exactly. (laughs) Lisa Marie, thank you so much for taking time to come down and talk to us today. And we look forward to seeing what you have next for us. It's my pleasure, Jeffrey. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much to the commission for all the support over all the years. Thank you. You've been listening to The 202 Studio, a podcast series of the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to the commissioners and staff of the Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and special thanks to our mayor, Muriel Bowser, for her support of the Arts and Humanities in the District of Columbia. And thanks to you for listening today. Thank you.